Deuteronomy 11. Going into Deuteronomy 12, we may actually perhaps conclude our study next week. Maybe. Maybe. No promises. Uh, Looking forward, we are going to go from here into Titus. Uh, Titus is a, a letter of Paul to a young pastor. Um, and it will hopefully give us an understanding of the New Testament church's desire for other churches as uh, Titus was setting up a church in Crete at Paul's behest, and we will learn all about that. But uh, as Paul exhorts Titus, so Paul exhorts us as well. So if you'd like to read ahead, it's a whopping four, count them four chapters, so that means it's probably only going to be a four-month study. Uh, We'll see. We are, as I mentioned, in Deuteronomy 11. Um, these, this concluding chapter here, this concluding section that we are going to study in Deuteronomy focuses on worship, okay? And really the rest of the, the book expounds on this in greater detail, but the first 12 chapters are really compact is as far as the exhortation of Moses to the second generation of Israel, uh, the the generation that is going to go into the promised land, a concise exhortation as far as their conduct and what God has done. And again, the remaining chapters of Deuteronomy would flesh that out. And hopefully from our study, you can go through the rest of Deuteronomy and not be completely lost. I mean, just... You can just keep reading uh, there and hopefully find blessing to your soul. But as we look at worship, why does man in 2019 America, perhaps even uh, Western Europe, feel that he can worship God in any manner that he chooses Okay. Well, why should I listen to you? I think we're called to glorify God, and even throughout Scripture, modes of worship take many forms from silence, just laying face down on the ground, to boisterous music and dancing. So I feel like when you look at just the examples of Scripture, worship can take basically the preference of the individual. Okay. Is there is there some freedom in our worship? Some. There will be no drums. <laughs> no, that doesn't say that anywhere. So we we do have freedom in our worship. Um, our our country our country was built on religious freedom, freedom to worship in the manner that you <coughs> see fit. <coughs> Okay, freedom to worship what you see fit. And that, that's, that's fine for a government to have a constitution that points that way. But for man, is it acceptable for him to worship in any manner that he sees fit? What guardrail would you put on that? 
any man wouldn't put a guardrail on it. Because any man can just look at his surroundings and say and observe governments use religion as their own weapon. And so why does the teachers use his religion as his own weapon or thought pattern? If not governed by a letter, the Bible, the Holy Scripture, then he can right. be governed by anything he wants. Okay. Well, broadest guardrails are truth. We can't worship God as a great spirit being that's in everything. That's not true. Midichlorians? Yeah. Yeah, no. So, I mean, at the broadest level. And then I think you also have, in this, there needs to be a distinction between worship as a way of life and worship as a function that happens in the church, which often people rightly point out you can worship God in anything, which is true, but then they don't realize there's also a distinction between when you're gathered to worship. So if you stick with the small W worship all of life, well then yeah, you can do whatever you want okay. Sunday morning. Okay. You know, here here are a couple of questions. Really, I'll, I'm, we won't go into them here, but think of think of good things that you hear happening in worship in our country or around the world, and think of things that give you pause for concern. You know. A, why do they encourage your heart? B, why do they cause you concern? So those are some things to think about. But God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, Jesus told the Samaritan woman. And so as we go in really to this con concluding section, we are listening to God's call to Israel in how they should worship him. How they should worship him. And we will pick up. Uh, last week we were discussing the choice uh, in verse 26 of chapter 11. I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you today in the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. So in this, there is a choice. There is a choice. Yes, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. How does that work? I don't know. But we see here specifically the choice. We see throughout the Gospels, throughout the Epistles, the idea of a choice. Man must choose. God's sovereign and portends over it. On this plane, the choice still has to be made. The choice still has to be made. The choice between obedience and blessing and disobedience and a curse. <coughs> Is this radical? Nope. Is this not life? You know, you can, spe you can speed all you want. You see guys, and you go, where's the cop? <laughs> you know, and then some guys, well, the, you know, the cop's just never there. <laughs> he's, he's flying by, but one day, he's probably going to get caught for living that life of disobedience. Okay, there, there will come a consequence. Um, and... Israel, God, God is going to have Israel flesh this out in a ceremony. In, in, a, in a ceremony very vivid to them. And 
And we see that in Ebal and Gerizim, and those are not two Klingon warriors, but two mountains in Israel. Um, Tyler, would you read 29 to 32, please? And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan, west of the road, uh, toward the going down of the sun in the land of the Canaanites, who live in Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak tree of Morah? For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you. When you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I'm setting before you today. Okay, he doesn't give a lot of detail on what's going to happen there. If you flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 27... we see what God wants Israel to do at Mount Ebal and Gerizim. And these are two, two mountains that are side by side. Okay, one's north, uh, north and south of, of each other. Verse, uh, chapter 27, Moses and the elders of Israel uh, commanded the people saying, keep the whole commandment that I command you today And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron or tool on them. And you shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings. And you shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Down in verse 11. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. So Mount Gerizim is the Mount of Blessing. Levi, or Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And from here through the rest of verse chapter 27, you have curses that are called out upon those who essentially don't follow the law. And you see that kind of summed up in verse 26 where it says, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Turn a few more chapters to your right, to Joshua chapter 8. They have gone in to the promised land, and in verses... 30 through 35, you see fleshed out God's command on Mount Gebal and Mount Gerizim. Ebal and Gerizim. Down in verse 34, 
it says, afterward, okay, after, after the ceremony was uh, finished, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law of book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So here, as they cross over into the promised land, here all of Israel is on these, like the two hillsides, the kind of Sermon on the Mount in reverse, where you know, uh, Joshua is in the middle with the Levites and the tribes on the sides of the mountain and reading aloud to them all of the law. Very interesting. This is in Samaria. This is by Jacob's well. These two mountains are right in between Jacob's well. And Jacob's well is where Jesus goes and meets the Samaritan woman. And where she says, on this mountain, we worship the Lord. And Jesus says, ah, you know, they who worship God in spirit and in truth. So is it, is it possible that those stones were still up there? Had the plaster worn away? Had the words worn off of those stones? But now this place was still a place of worship because it was then a place of worship unknown but interesting that that was in that very same location back in Deuteronomy 11 you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today verse 32 how weighty is the word As a Christian, as a Christ follower, can I get away with not knowing God's word? No. no. Why do we why do we proclaim that with such authority? I mean, because if you don't know his law, I got to say when I was a little kid. I believe that Christ died for my sins. Why? Without God's word, what true foundation is there to base that belief upon? Okay. Well, I believe that. I, you know, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in Scripture. How do you know it to be true? I know that. How can you defend God's word against anybody who would question it otherwise? Or is the first person who comes and asks one sideways question going to make you topple like... I'm losing analogies here, but... <laughs> I think it's basically because the word commands us to know it. Okay. The question seems to have two perspectives. Can we get away from God's word? No, because the Lord is the one who is pushing the word. He will. 
That's true. From the other perspective, can we deal with God? And can we get away from Him? Yes and no. Can we get away from Him daily? Can we go through that? Can I be a believer and not desire God's Word? Why not? Why shouldn't it be the norm? Because it's one of the ways that God communicates with us. If, if, why should I desire this? Because this is him. I mean, not, not the, the plastic cover and the, the, the pages per se. But he is the word. He is the word. I am the word of life. How does he reveal himself to us? This, this is, you'll, you'll hear theologians refer to this as the special revelation as opposed to the general revelation. This is where this, we find out about the specifics of the living God here in his word. I've used the analogy before of a date. It's like, it's like getting married and never dating my wife. Not talking to her. We just, we coexist. No, there has to be communication, communion. And how do we do that with the living God? But in his word. He reveals himself to us. He opens himself to us in his word. And why would I not desire that? If I don't, and I call myself a believer, something's amiss. It is. And that ought to concern me. That ought to concern me. If I don't, if I don't desire that. So, you know, when we read, oh, you know, obey, obey the commands of the Lord. You know, we, sh we shouldn't feel like, oh. no, we should go, yes, absolutely. I want to know them because I want to know you because you reveal yourself to me in your commandments. You do. So as he moves into chapter 12 here, he's now going to highlight um, pleasing worship and displeasing worship uh, here. Uh, Rebecca, would you read verses 1 through 4? No crazy names in there. So. Chapter 12. Of chapter 12, thank you. Okay. These are the statutes and rules that you shall be careful to do in the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you to possess all the days that you live on earth. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their ashram with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. Good. 
So as we get into this, we get here a, kind of a warning to avoid false worship. And he starts out with a preamble of obedience. And it kind of goes hand in hand with knowing the word of God. So if I desire to know God, and I know his word, and his command says, you know, I'd really like it if you would, you know, pick up your socks. You know, and if, if I knew that irritated my wife, that I left my socks at the foot of the bed at night, just took them off and, and dumped them there, and it just, you know, just one of those things. It's, it's not. But if it was, and she revealed that to me, then I would be, I'd be a dope to keep doing that. It's a very simple thing, and I know it brings pleasure to my wife if I just take them and move them 10 feet into the dirty clothes basket. Okay, I can do that, and it should bring me joy to bring her joy. And so, but how much, how much weightier God's command if I know it and don't do it? Don't, don't do it. Or I ignore it. I, I no. So do it. Um, but then he, verses, verses two and four, what, what's going on in verses two and four, two through four, two through four. He's basically telling them if you like come upon it to like basically get rid of it. How, how, not have it among you. How, how emphatic is the language here? Pretty, pretty, pretty emphatic. Yeah, man. It's like, you know, crush it into dust and then burn the dust and then bury the ashes that's left over. So there's like nothing left. Think of a think of a landfill. You know, landfill. Okay, we've got all this garbage and ultimately we're gonna pop, plow dirt over the top of it and grow trees. And so years and years later, nobody ever knows there was a landfill there. God's saying, I want it gone. All gone. Why is he so extreme? Because he knows that the hearts of the people are very easily drawn away. And if there is left, if there's any inkling of that left, then people are going to be tempted toward worshiping those things. Why is this so extreme, but our Constitution makes provision that Congress shall make no law establishing a religion? God seems like he's not going to put up with anything else. But our government, in its constitution, seems to say, hey, whatever. It's not theocracy, nor should we desire to be on earth. You have to understand here that God 
is these these are God's people. He redeemed them out of Egypt for himself. He took Abraham a long time before that and had him walk through Canaan, saying, this land is going to be yours and for your people forever. Okay, this is, I'm making you a people, and in making you a people, you are going to be a blessing. And so because you are my people, I am the one you are to bow to and look to. Okay, yes, we are, we're, we're not a theocracy. Yes, we have a grand and beautiful Judeo-Christian underpinning to our nation and within our declaration and within our constitution. But that does not make us a Christian nation, and nor does that mean we should go burn down the mosques or the synagogues, uh, for that matter, because these are not... Christian places. But this is important for Israel because of what Tracy said. Nutgrass. You know what nutgrass is? Kind of worthless, right? Is it okay to leave nutgrass in your yard? If you like it. If you like it, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> or those little burrs, you know, you know the ones that you, if you step on in bare feet, you're like you know it. You know, you get them stuck on your shoe and you reach down to untie your laces and like, yeah! Because it's now stuck in your skin. Okay? If you get one of those in your yard and you just let it be, you're not going to have just one in your yard. It is going to infest your yard. It will. And this is why God wants it destroyed. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto yourselves any graven image after the likeness of things in the heavens or things on the earth. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing that should make you go, what that's like. I wonder what they use this for. Oh, no. Destroy it. Don't even. His desire is that we would be innocent about such things. And that our heart would be after him. So, do we take such measures in our own life. We should. We don't always do it, though. How apt are we to let weeds sprout? You watch, you watch television and you watch, you go to movies and listen to the radio and, oh, you know, you know it's, it's, it's not a big thing. You know, it's not a big thing. Oh, there's just this one scene in it. And 
you know, I, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to this church with my friend, and you know what they preach there or don't preach there. It's critical that if, if we are not putting off sin in our life, if we do not put off the sin that so easily entangles, or as Romans or yeah, Romans chapter eight, verse thirteen, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. And we are called to, to holiness. Be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so I, I can't abide this in my life. I have to be thinking about what I am doing, what I am watching, what I'm listening to. Okay, I don't want to be pharisaical about it. I'm free in Christ. We are free. We are not bound to the law. But my desire and my love should be my Lord. And I should be so enraptured by him that when I get a hint of these things, I go, I don't want this. I don't want that. It, there's something wrong with the taste. You know it. You know, I, I forgot the sugar. I forgot, you know, uh, I, I, I put baking powder instead of baking soda. I don't know what that would do. But maybe it would taste different. I added vinegar instead of water. Um, I mean, anybody who cooks has, has done something where they go, it just doesn't taste right. But that's how the believer should be with regard to things that are not right in this world. And that shouldn't make us, like a dog, sniff it further or roll in it, but run from it. God even says in, in verse 4, you shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. He cares. Oh, oh how God cares for his people. Don't, don't destroy it all. You know, he's exhorting them with a heart of love. Go in and destroy it all. Don't worship me in this way. You know, he is holy. He is to be revered. He is to be honored. And his glory by us should be protected. If we, if we approach God like that we treat him as common we treat him then as an unholy thing and ultimately will invite his retribution we ought not worship god in the way that we desire we should seek out the way he desires and that's what he's about to to get into. 
we should seek after what God calls us to be and to do, and we should worship him in that manner. And again, there is great freedom in that. It's like God puts a big fence out there and says, I want you to worship in this fence line. We go, woohoo! And we can go all over in this fence line and enjoy the Lord. And ultimately, that's what he spells out for them. So, pursuing proper worship versus... 5 through 7. Tracy, would you read that? But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go, and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Does God have concern for the physical, or is he only concerned about the spiritual? What are some evidences that God is concerned about the physical? And all that you undertake. Okay. Talks about everything you do. What are some other ways? You can use the, this passage or other passages. How do we know that God cares about the physical? Okay. Whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. How else do we know God cares about the physical? Oh, he's going to provide for you. Stop. The stuff you need. What is Jesus famous for? Healing people. Healing people. Healing people. If it was just a matter of spirituality, why did he heal so many people? Why did he feed them? Man does not live by bread alone, after all, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy, we read that. Jesus even said that to Satan. But he fed probably 15,000 people, 5,000 men, 4,000 men in the two occasions where he did this. And we see here that God actually has a spatial concern about where he is worshipped, at least for Israel. So they are to seek the place that God will choose. Seek the place that God will choose. We see that he has them set up an altar on Mount Gerizim. That is not normal. That is a special occasion for them. But they are to seek a place where he is going to put his name and make his habitation there. Other translations um, at the end of verse 5. Any other translations for where he will put his name and make his habitation? Verse 
Make his habitation. What's a habitation? Dwelling place. House. Dwelling place. Dwelling place. So the implication is that God is going to be with us and dwell with us. He is going to be with them and dwell with them. Yes. Has he done this? Yes, by you know, pillar pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Yes, he has been with them this whole time. They have seen this. I am going to dwell with you. God with us, Emmanuel. This is the new heaven and the new earth where God is going to dwell with his creatures. God has made us an extraordinary planet to put us into and a garden, you know, before it was all destroyed. But the planet still abides. A wonderful planet. Oh, but it's going to be new. There's going to be a new earth, a new heavens, and a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, and God is going to dwell with man. in a manner far more noticeable to us than we see here on this plane. But it was so for Israel in, at this time, the tabernacle and would be in the temple as well where God would dwell with them. Um, that's that's radical. Israel had the opportunity and was exhorted three times a year to go to this place, to go to this place to celebrate the feasts. And you can read about that as you go on in Deuteronomy or as you go back in Exodus and, and the law. But he, was, he commanded them, there you shall go at the end of verse 5. And there, in verse 6, you will bring your sacrifices. Again, all of these have been delineated in the law. How are we supposed to sacrifice? Ah, can I just go in my backyard on my barbecue? And here's my sacrifice on the barbecue? No. have to do it there. Yes, at that place. This is where you are to come and bring your sacrifices. And there was provision made. There's provision made in the law if you could not come. Which is sweet. God is good. But he desires his people to come to him together. And, and do what in verse 7? You shall eat. Okay. And rejoice. That God's people would be gathered to the place and before him, God's people together would celebrate. No, it's not just it's not just a party. I mean we're just not we're we're not gonna drink ourselves into oblivion here. It is to celebrate before the Lord. Together to rejoice in God's goodness for us 
in the three feasts during the year. We are to rejoice. You have been blessed by him. Come and enjoy him. Come and enjoy the Lord. Rejoice before the Lord. But man, man's got to know his limitations. Man's got to know his limitations. Because our heart, again, as far as the weeds are concerned, the weeds will tend to crop up. We will want to worship God as we see fit. We will want to go, you know, I can worship God on the golf course. I don't need to be a part of a local assembly. I don't need that to worship. Okay, well, you don't, you, you don't understand the church. that is your mind but that tends to creep in and so in verse 80 says you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes we see that fleshed out in judges everyone doing what was right in his own eyes and time and time and time and time again israel was beset by the people around them because they were doing what was right in their own eyes they had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Our eyes are blinded. Our eyes are misfocused. Our eyes are infocused. We are selfish. <coughs> Notice verse 9. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. Does that resonate in your ears? You have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God is giving you. Is that true for us? Yes. Yes, this is true. This is true for us. We have not yet entered our rest. We have not yet entered the rest that God has for us. We do not yet have the inheritance. Are we heirs? Yes, if we are believers, we are heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. Together, Peter calls husband and wife. 1 Peter 3, 7. Co-heirs. We are heirs. And so even, even for us, on this side of eternity, we are not there yet. And so we are called, we are called to persevere. Persevere. Keep on, keep on, keep on. He who began a good work in you is faith will be faithful to complete it in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. Is that true? So I don't have to keep on. Right? No. I'm called to persevere. How is God going to work in me to keep on if I am not keeping on? And so we exhort one another while it is called today. 
to to keep on. We don't forsake the meeting together as some do, but we meet together and with your gifts, we exhort and encourage one another to keep on and persevere because we're not there yet. We know we have an inheritance. We know we do. We know that our Father is preparing a place for us in a land flowing with milk and honey. We know that. It's a promise. But we're not there yet. So, you know, don't, don't do according to all that is happening in the world. Don't follow after that. Don't in, go where your heart is inclining unless your heart is inclining toward the Lord. Verse 10. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, when, you, when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety... Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there again. We hear that reiterated from just above. There you shall bring all that I command to you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your contributions that you present. And all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And again, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, and the Levite that is within your town, since he has, take, has no portion or inheritance with you. So here, essentially, we have a reiteration of verse 6. Verse 11 is like verse 6. Hey, I'm saying it again. Okay, when you go into the land, after this warning... Hey, don't just do kind of what everyone thinks is right here. God has given us his law. God has given us his truth to follow, not as you choose. And again, I, I'm, I'm pleased. It, it, it brings joy to my heart to see verses 7 and verse 12, this idea of rejoicing before the Lord, because this is God's desire. Not that worshiping him with the saints is a burden. Not that, oh, we got to go to church, man. No, that we get to come and unite through the Holy Spirit with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to call upon the name of the Lord together. And we get to hear his word proclaimed together. Again, the warning reiterated in verse 13. Take care that you do not offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings. There you shall do all that I am commanding you. So, you know, here today, we don't have to go. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to go to the temple. We worship God in spirit and in truth. But that does not negate that our worship must have intention. It must be intentional. Otherwise, my flesh will intervene. I must think. I must consider His holiness. I must think and consider my sin. I must consider his provision. I must consider my faith. I must consider his pleasure. I must consider my thanksgiving, my hope, 
my joy and my peace. And really we are called as saints to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that implies what we started out with. And I've got to know his word. It's not a mandate, you know, this isn't sitting on my head like, you know, 500 pounds. Oh, I got to read the Bible. I should desire this. This should be my desire, my delight in the Lord. And so we cling to the truth. We'll stop right there. Any questions? Any, any thoughts?